the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Wednesday, September 27th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 277. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. You'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody? We're back with a big Wednesday edition of the show this week. Amaro, Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. MAGA Inc. official spokeswoman Caroline Levitt will be here. We'll sit down with 2024 presidential candidate Perry Johnson, and we've got dueling congressmen. Just kidding, they're on the same team. We'll be sitting down with Oklahoma Representative Josh Burkeen and Arizona Representative Andy Biggs for the first time. Lots of breaking news. A house divided up on Capitol Hill. The budget battle rages on. Joe Biden's drama continues, whether he was not well-received in Michigan yesterday or the late-breaking news from the Oversight Committee and James Comer last night. And Donald Trump had events in South Carolina yesterday, Michigan tonight. He not only continues to rise in the polls, but above the drama as well. But before we get to any of the headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill in the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak Breakfast Podcast. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started on the show today, we're up on Capitol Hill with the congressman who's representing Arizona's fighting fifth. Really excited to be sitting down for the first time with Representative Andy Biggs. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Thanks thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it very much. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're uh, bored today with nothing to do, and it's pretty, you know, everything's normal up on Capitol Hill, not too much to worry about. You want to give us the latest on the budget battle? Yeah, I was just playing a crossword puzzle, guys. Uh, you interrupted that, right? So that's what's, that's what's going on. No, uh, what's, okay, so what's happening? I mean, I could take an hour or so talking about it, so I'll try to be quick hitter. Um, right now, uh, we're trying to, ostensibly trying to get through four of the 12 bills we're supposed to already have done and sent over to the Senate. Uh, some of, There's some good stuff in those bills, some bad stuff in those bills. But we're going through the amendment process on those spending bills. Every year you're supposed to do 12 of those bills, get them over to the Senate, and get that all completed by September 30th. No, we didn't get that done. Um, so now I've got a whole host of colleagues. They're all working through these various uh, notions of con- what's called a continuing resolution, where you keep spending. You allow uh, a spending for a period of time while you are supposed to finish those 12 bills. But, guys, I'll tell you something. Uh, they they started doing those be, those continuing resolutions because I don't think they really want to do these 12 spending bills to try to bring our spending under control and bring it down. So that's what I would say. And and uh, you know what you get? You know, a lot of people don't know this. How many times we've done continuing resolutions in the last 25 years? A hundred and thirty times, Seems including like three three years where instead of passing the, the spending bills that you're supposed to, which were required by law to do, they actually they actually used a continuing resolution for the entire year. And what that means is you spend last year's levels and you keep last year's programs and policies in place. Um, and last year's levels gave us a $2 trillion deficit 
adding two trillion to the national debt, and and you keep you have the pleasure of keeping all the crappy policies of the Biden administration in place. That's that's where we've got to say no. I, I mean, I, I'm for I'm just basically I've reached the point no CRs whatsoever. Otherwise, we're going to keep doing this forever. We'll we'll take this country right off the spending edge. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to know what? We, we appreciate that, Congressman, and a lot of the other ones who come on the show. I mean, just some of the ones off the top of my head, Eli Crane, Corey Mills, Wesley Hunt, Matt Gates, et cetera. They're all no on the bills uh, for CRs as well. And it, it's time to stop this out-of-control spending. When you look at the the national debt, has finally surpassed $33 trillion. You factor that in with the national deficit every year, which is at around $2 trillion itself. And just the, the way the board, the Biden policies have been across the board, you want to talk about the border, our stance geopolitically, uh, domestically when it comes to the economy. There's nothing in just refunding the government to continue on this path that we're going down right now that looks like it positively serves the American people. And even though it's such a small number, even though it continues to grow up in the House of Representatives, and I saw some of the senators jumping on board over the last 48 hours as well, it's good to see some pushback on this stuff, especially when you talk about Let's get into this here. So the $6 billion from Ukraine, the $1.67 billion from the State Department, in addition to the $4 billion that's interwoven in from the Chuck Schumer CR that was presented to the Senate yesterday, you were an absolute no on that one as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it, it, guys, I'm going to tell you, any CR, any CR facilitates the big spending deficits. It facilitates, you always end up with an omnibus bill of some kind. Uh, you end up with crazy policies in there. They cram it down your throat either before this year. They're talking about before Thanksgiving, maybe before Christmas again. It's it's insane. And um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm against it. Uh, a, a good number of my colleagues are as well. And I saw that you uh, also signed on to say that you were no for U.S. troops ever, uh, you know, in the theater over there in Ukraine as well. I thought that was huge. Congressman, I want to segue over and talk about one of the the, the Republicans wins this year, and that's with H.R. 2. It was passed through the House, although Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden are never going to implement a lot of the stipulations that are in this bill. I mean, you know, when you talk about border security as being a critical part of anything that, you know, goes forward as far as funding the government, how, how can we not see the disaster that's going on down there? We know that you come from a border state. You're a huge advocate for securing the American uh, southwest border to, to just see this have Democrats and Joe Biden continue to ignore something that the American people obviously want. We're seeing it affecting a lot of blue states and those politicians speaking out against Joe Biden as well. Yeah, this is a loser for the Democrats. But just last Friday when I was testifying against uh, you know, against the CRs in the Rules Committee, uh, the ranking member said, hey, look, there's no crisis on the border. You guys are just, you know, you, you, that's just talking it up. Tell that to the 304,000 people that actually were encountered at the border. Tell that to the 200,000 people who got away sneaking into the border. It is a real crisis. And the, the HR2 passed out. The Senate is not going to take it up. And, and a lot of people are saying, well, let's stick it in a CR. And that, that doesn't work, guys. The way it works is if you can take something that the Biden regime wants in the spending packages and you defund those like Green New Deal crap, like DEI stuff, like uh, drag queen shows that are sponsored by the State Department, until you start defunding that stuff that Biden wants, uh, and then going beyond it and start cutting even more, 
two things. That's a that's a twofer, right? Because one of them you get rid of. It's a threefer. You get what you hopefully get rid of some of those bad programs. But the second thing is you actually reduce some spending, might save a little bit of the deficit. But the third thing is the Biden administration is under the thumb, under your thumb at that point, and they, in order to get some of what they want, are going to have to actually show demonstrable metrics of border security. And they're not willing to do that. A lot of my colleagues are not willing to do that. Um, the Democrats don't believe there's a problem. And a lot of my folks, uh, the, my colleagues on, the, on my side of the aisle, they're willing to do this kind of kabuki theater of saying, oh, hey, folks, we, we've taken, we're doing stuff on the border. When they know good and well that this administration is not going to ever enact these policies, enforce these policies. Why? They're a lawless regime, a lawless regime. Well, that's the thing, Alejandro Mayorkas, you know, even when federal judges have ruled against him, he just goes and writes or rewrites administrative policy that skirts the judge's rulings. And I saw something you were very outspoken on this week, and that you were opposing the temporary protective status for nearly three quarters of a million of Venezuelan refugees and, and illegal aliens who are crossing the border right now. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Yeah. So one of the things that Mayorkas did is he created a special uh, what we call a parole program. And he allowed it for Venezuelans. Uh, parole supposed to be before Mayorkas, it would, you might have 12 to 15 a year. So if somebody need, needed emergency humanitarian medical care, they might be able to get parole or something like that. It's very it one off case by case, fully vetted individuals. What Mayorkas has done is he's turned this into a, a group deal. Right. So anybody could come in. So it violates the law, which we've already talked about. It violates the law. And he's bringing in people from Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba and and um, and uh, I can't remember. Haiti, I guess, is the is the fourth country. But Venezuela, he's he's bringing in literally a number to take it up to seven hundred fifty thousand. I think by the time we actually get the real numbers, it'll be closer to a million people that he's granted parole. What that means is he lets them into the country. He gives them work legal work status for two years and guess what happens you never hear from those folks again they're they're just they're in the interior that's what that's what alejandro mayorkas has done uh not just with these guys not with just not just with the venezuelans he's trying to do that elsewhere uh as well yeah, the border is something that, you know, definitely needs addressing, and especially with the looming government shutdown, we've got just a day and a half until, you know, you talk about four of 12 appropriation bills being worked on. Who knows what's going to happen? It, it looks like the shutdown is going to happen, and then you have all those men and women who have just been absolutely ravaged, not only talking about Border Patrol and Customs, but the towns along the U.S. southern border who have been, you know, just overran by illegal aliens over the course of the last nearly three years now, and the potential for them not getting any government funding or, or the officers working down there not getting paid yeah exactly so so i mean this is why uh i i take this all back to give you the context um the bills that would have funded these these guys these men and women those are actually passed out of the committee last june right but the but the speaker didn't bring them forward um but but be that as it may um if we hurry and did our work we might prevent these guys from missing a paycheck because they all get paid Friday. They will all get paid Friday. If you're a two-week employee, that'll, that'll take you to mid-October. And if we got off our keisters and actually started delivering this stuff, um, you get to the Senate, you might have a shot to get some of these bills back so nobody would miss a paycheck.
Yeah, it's just uh, you know awful to see, and we hope that you guys can continue to work on that and get towards some kind of resolution that's not a continuing one. We're, we're not doing that, and, and right. but, but you know that that gets this government back on track. Congressman, the last thing I want to touch with you on. I mean, I know you sit on the House Judiciary Committee and also on the Oversight Committee as well. You saw the breaking news yesterday from Jamie Comer. He did some of the evening news circuit talking about the wire transfers from a Chinese national who obviously has both a business and professional relationship with Joe Biden. At some point, over a quarter of a million dollars was wire transfer from that Chinese national to an account of Hunter Biden, and he used Joe Biden's personal address as the landing pad for it. Now, I know you guys have been working diligently on this and up against every single odd. I mean, you've got NARA pushing back from you, the State Department pushing back on you, the DOJ pushing back on you, not giving you guys any traction, but but you guys have produced a lot of receipts, and, and the, the connectivity-ness from Joe Biden to his son and his business dealings is now being shown to light. Moving forward on these investigations, especially after yesterday, are, are you thinking that we're just barely tipping the, the top of the iceberg or, and we're going to see a whole lot more as these investigations continue to ramp up? Yeah, quite frankly, I, I think, um, you know, actually we have so much documentation for some, so many countries. Um, we're in jeopardy of, of, of oversaturating the information overload for people, but, but there is still so much more to get to. I mean, I'm trying to arrange uh, interviewing a multitude of additional witnesses that I think are going to—they're Hunter Biden's business, former business part, partners, and 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 Hunter Biden uh, and Joe Biden were the product, and and these, there's a lot of people that were in business with Hunter who know that that's the case, and so we're trying to get that. We need to get Hunter Biden. In my opinion, we need to get Hunter Biden to come in under subpoena and have him testify. My guess is he'll take the fifth repeatedly, but we need to get him in there. Um, we need more bank records um, from Hunter Biden and um, uh, not just Hunter Biden, but Joe, uh, Jim, Jim Biden, Joe Biden, uh, and, and pull those in, plus other business partners, because we know that this money was being laundered. I mean, there, there's no other reason that you're doing one-off transfers of, of, of money into an account that is temporarily connected to Joe Biden meeting with or calling uh, Hunter Biden's clients and then, and then uh, delivering a quid pro quo like we saw just a few days uh, after a, a meeting, a phone call uh, with the Ukrainian Baris, uh, business executive of Burisma Next thing you know, Joe Biden's there holding the the government hostage. You got to fire Victor Shokin, the prosecutor who's investigating Burisma, uh, or you're not going to get a billion dollars of U.S. taxpayer money. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there, and it ties right into Joe Biden. No, it certainly does. And Congressman, the last thing I'm going to ask you, you know, you see all this stuff kind of ramping up at the end of the fiscal year here. You've got the Joe Biden investigation. I mean, that's pretty damning, uh, you know, info that came out yesterday. You've obviously teased that there's a lot more and you guys are going to be able to expose much, much more of it moving forward. And and then when you talk about the the, the budget battle that's kind of backed itself into a corner right now, I mean, we're, we're a day and a half away from a government shutdown. Do you think at the end of the day, and, and and once we get through all this stuff that Speaker McCarthy is built to last when it comes to being, uh, you know, obviously the leader of the caucus and the Speaker of the House? Yeah, I, let, let's, I'm going to tell you what exactly what I see. I, I'm try, I, I try to be very transparent about all the stuff that we've been talking about. I'll be transparent on this. I, I anticipate that there, there may be a motion to vacate at some point the next little while. I don't know when. Um, but quite frankly, I think he survives it. I think he survives it. 
I don't I don't know if Dem I've been told Democrats aren't going to bail him out this time. I don't know if I believe that. I think Democrats will bail him out. I think they'll I think they'll bail him out on a on a CR. And so if the Democrats bail him out, he'll get a he'll get 160 votes from the, the Republican side and, and he'll survive. Yeah, it's one of those things when I think the Democrats are waiting to like play their hand once they see how bad or which way the media kind of blames the shutdown on if it happens. You know, you saw KJP push back yesterday where, you know, nearly 65% of the American public thinks that the government shutdown would be at the fault of Joe Biden because of his policies and rampant spending. But, you know, if the media just takes it and says that this is the you know, two dozen uh, House Republicans and 10 senators who are fighting for America first up there on Capitol Hill, then that's the direction they're going to go in, which, like you said, Speaker McCarthy likely would survive. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you for the first time today. We're looking at some point to have you back on the show in the near future. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you, where can they check you out? You can check me out at, uh, at Rep. Andy Biggs AZ. Um, you can go to on Facebook, you can go to Congressman Andy Biggs, uh, Truth, at Rep. Andy Biggs AZ, or you can go to my official site, which is biggs.house.gov, um, and that will that will give you everything. By the way, you guys, I've had, um, tonight I'll have my fourth op-ed on the, on the budget situation we sit in. That should be published. Uh, I think another one's going to come out on a different outlet um, later today as well. So I've, I've, I've written six. One of them, I was chastising somebody too vigorously, and so I can't. I got to rewrite that one, guys. But uh, in any event, any event, the other five or six are going to be out uh, total. So, so you can see those all at the bigs.house.gov website. We'll be looking forward to sharing that. And and listen, we got to just say thank you, Congressman. You're one of our strongest fighters and and biggest warriors up there on Capitol Hill. He's also representing Arizona Five, Congressman Andy Biggs. Thanks for joining us today and getting the show kicked off. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Have a great show. We are back in D.C. It's a big week because we're supposed to pass budget bills uh, by September 30th, which is later this week. But instead of doing that and spending time on that over the past several months, Chuck Schumer, literally minutes ago, just dropped a bill that spends billions and billions and billions of dollars, doesn't do anything for border security, and we're supposed to go vote on it right here in the chamber. So obviously I'm voting no. This is what's wrong with Washington. It's a broken system. It's why we're bankrupting this country. we got to fix it. But certainly going along with this is not something I'm willing to do. I'm not worried about whether there's a speakership place or not. The only thing I care about is fighting for the American people. And you know what? That means securing our borders. That means lowering the cost of energy. I would love Democrats to join with us on a continuing resolution that would secure the border. There are enough Democrat leaders out there that are calling for it. So I don't understand. If you're in New York, you've got your governor, you've got your mayor, all calling for it. It's the number one issue. So you'd have an opportunity. There's lots of opportunities. If you're a Democrat, you're down in Texas, you're in Arizona, you have this opportunity. They sent $100 billion and nobody's counting the money and nobody's looking for the fraud. And Ukraine's always been in the top 10 or historically been in the top 10 for corruption. So now I think it's a huge mistake. It's, it's, there, it's an unpopular idea. And yet the leaders in Washington are dead set on ramming this down our throat. But I told them I am not going along with it. I will not allow my consent to let them push through more money for Ukraine, particularly when they have the gall to tell us they're going to pay Ukrainian government workers while our workers go unpaid. Polling shows that a higher percentage of Americans would actually blame the shutdown on the president and the Democrats, not on Republicans. Why do you think that is? And should the president be out there speaking more on this issue? We're going to be very clear. This is this is this will be a Republican shutdown. 
right? This is extreme House Republicans who have made it very clear that the, the chaos that we're seeing in the, in the House, they are marching us towards a government shutdown. That shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. Jumping into the news portion of the show today, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I missed you yesterday, Noah. I missed you too. A lot of our listeners missed us too, asking where the show was. Listen, we say it at the end. Maybe we should say it at the beginning. We are resuming our normal business schedule, though, and we'll be back with our Friday edition in, in just 48 hours. And I see Noah, his eyes flutter, so he's <laughs> not very happy with that. We're busy. Not yeah. as busy as those up on Capitol Hill, though. A lot of moving parts, a lot of interested parties. What do you think Barack Obama would have to say about the uh, potential government shutdown coming on Friday? Well, uh, the government is going to shut down. Uh, the good news is the, the pond cleaners are going to be off. So they're not going to find any more of my sous chefs at the bottom of the lake. Mm, I like it. Jesus. All out. Hey, listen. He can't be as bad as Justin Trudeau was this week. Oh, my gosh. Oof. Bringing some Nazis to Parliament? We'll we'll get into that (laughs) at the end of the segment. We're going to frame it. Like actual Nazis. So it ends there. It was also great sitting down with uh, Congressman Andy Biggs for the first time. He'll definitely be coming back to the show. Great to connect with his staff and... uh, Listen, kind of lays it out there for you, like, in real time, which is what we try to do here on Steak for Breakfast. So we have a House divided. It's spilled over into the Senate. And we've got, you know, I guess minutes in the big scheme of things before we hit our uh, government shutdown at the end of the business day on Friday. I know that, uh, you know, those working on appropriations in the House of Representatives have been working diligently to get these bills passed anywhere between four and six now, have gotten through committee. And and listen, all we could do is continue to track it. We've got a slew of congressmen and women coming through the show on our Friday edition of the show this week. We're going to be having Representative Eli Crane. No one's laid it out for the American public better than he has. Mm -mm. And no one laid it down harder against Merrick Garland than Congresswoman Victoria Sparts, who will be joining us for the first time on Friday as well. So, yeah, she's going to be an awesome interview, and I can't wait to sit down with her. Not like a Mitch McConnell, who doesn't really continue to have the America's best interest at heart. When did he? Has he ever? Listen, the SCOTUS appointments is kind of where I start and end with Mitch McConnell throughout the course of the last almost eight years now. Yes, he did ram through a lot of uh, federal judges who were appointed to the bench, but here's the thing. He's done more for Joe Biden, so... Maybe he just likes having a lot of judges confirmed on his resume. It doesn't matter which party's in power. I think besides, uh, you know, if you, if you just look at the last decade of Mitch McConnell stopping Merrick Garland, not like that means anything now, he might as well be a Supreme Court judge because he's acting like the supreme ruler of the entire United States as the Attorney General, and then getting the three judges confirmed that would eventually overturn Dobbs are highlights for him and all the rest is pure shit. You know, and we all know his... uh China loving wife, maybe you've heard of her. Elaine Vagina. Elaine Coco Chow. <laughs> her too. He was on the Senate floor yesterday. You'll never guess it. Shilling for Ukraine. Let's hear it. Mm. But in order to work on appropriations to continue uninterrupted, mm. Congress needs to extend government funding by the end of this week. By the end of my life. The sooner Congress keeps the light on, the sooner these important conversations. There's only one light. Can resume. The clearest path forward is a s- standard oh. short-term Unscrew the light resolution. Congress. Our work this week 
needs to produce the resources and flexibility to maintain essential government functions at their current rates of operation while progress on full-year appropriations continues. He had to turn the page to read the word continues. I can only (laughs) imagine how big the font is. Like, okay, I get it. Like, you, you had the font really big and you ran out of space, but, like, Somebody get the guy a Sharpie and just write the last word so he doesn't have to turn the page for one word. <laughs> hey, listen, and if you want to know what I mean by shilling for Ukraine. Oh, my God. So yesterday, and we'll get into this in our next news segment because Joe Biden's had the drama ramped up against him. There was a lot of news that went under the radar yesterday. They want to talk about, you know, the government shutdown and who's right and who's wrong. They also want to talk about the court ruling, uh, the civil lawsuit in New York State against Donald Trump, which is essentially destroying the Trump organization. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show as well. But Chuck Schumer got on a plane with Joe Biden to go and hang out with picketers at the United Auto Workers Union for, I believe, like two minutes. Joe Biden spoke for less than 90 seconds. Coherently? But before he left, <laughs> I've got the clip. You'll hear it. You'll have to be the... De- you know, the deciding factor, no, but I got a pretty good picture. Joe Biden's like talking and there's like a guy standing right next to him. Oh, the guy giving him the scowl, like, (laughs) really? (laughs) But here's the thing. Chuck Schumer dropped on the rest of the Senate a 80-page continuing resolution, which included now. Oh, great. Come on. $4.5 billion for Ukraine. Fuck that. And another $1.65 billion from the State Department in aid for Ukraine, which totals $6 billion in Ukraine to keep the government running. That's the Ahasa's negotiations that's going on at this point right now. How does this ever become reasonable to the American people? Like, we are literally about to eclipse our spending historically to the point where our interest is an insurmountable amount. Yeah. The drama in the Senate continued where 28 senators voted yes immediately to, uh, you know, certify the continuing resolution. But there were no's on the America First side, and that was Blackburn, Braun, Britt, Bud, Cruz, Danes, Fisher, Haggerty, Hawley, Johnson, Lee, Loomis, Marshall, Paul, Ricketts, Schmidt, Senator Scott from Florida, Tommy Tuberville, and J.D. Vance. Mm. Those were the ones that have absolutely had it and are not going to be, again, held hostage by the Democrats to say, you think the border's bad now? Imagine with a government shutdown, fun Ukraine, or we're going to make it worse. I, I just don't, I don't get it. I was telling somebody the other day, they were like, do you think the government shutdown is going to happen? I was like, it's absolutely going to happen because it's a win-win for them. It's A, a distraction from all the, the sketchy business dealings and stuff that are coming out about Biden. And B, they get to make the Republicans, quote unquote, look bad. Yeah. Well, as the press said, over 60% of the American public think that this is going to fall on the Democrats and Joe Biden if the government can't stay. They do hold two out of three branches yeah. of power. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's going to be their fault 100% because they're going to be adding so much fucking extra cheese to this bullshit that nobody's going to be able to like, no, we can't fucking do that. Are you out of your mind? Well, God, what, what if we have the the, the grateful Ukrainians? Mm-hmm. Or what about, the, what about the grateful Ukrainians that are here? You mean the Nazis that are here? I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but ouch. You don't want to be a Canadian Parliament member right now. Oh, man, that's embarrassing. So I don't know if you saw it. On Sunday mornings with Maria on Fox News, Matt Gates jumped on, and over the course of like almost 15 minutes, they got into a heated debate where Maria Bartiromo took the side of Speaker Kevin McCarthy and pretty much tried to 
you know, blow holes in every part of the narrative that Matt Gates tried to get across in regards on why him and a very small group of House Republicans are holding the line. Here's the thing. You know how I always say a lot of these people probably don't have mirrors in their own house because they say one thing on the news and it's so absolutely diabolical that there's no way that they could go home and look at themselves in the mirror. Yeah. Apparently Maria still does because on Monday's show, to kick off at the top, her monologue centered around that interview with Matt Gates, and she was a little, I guess, apologetic. Let's check it out. Now a word about my interview yesterday with Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who joined me to discuss the budget battle. Democracy is messy. Matt Gates is an important voice in the process. House leadership, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, is also an important voice in the process. My show, Sunday Morning Futures, is an important part of the process. Really? Because we are searching for truth and always will. Our platform matters. I tried yesterday to lay out the issues around the budget battle. Congressman Gates' attacks on the Speaker and the GOP's reaction to Joe Biden's bad policies. In a nutshell, Matt Gates said we should have separate single subject spending bills. Yes, yes. McCarthy is also pushing to get individual subject bills through, through but collectively mm, those yeah. bills add up to the same spending number that we were spending at the top of the COVID emergency. Matt Gates is so pushing for individual now. bills to come in with a cut in spending year over year. The way to fix this is to give all of those bills a major haircut. The problem is we knew this date was coming. Why weren't these bills done before this week? I still questioned why Republicans can't get on the same page. Why move to a government shutdown and attack the Speaker of the House, blow up the House effectively, undermining the work that they've already done? But Congressman Gates came back saying we can't govern the way we have in the past. We are spending $7 trillion a year, but we're taking in just $5 trillion. The spending must be cut. He also questioned how serious Republicans are about investigating Joe Biden, yep. when in fact we still have yet to see a subpoena of Hunter Biden. Mm. Good point. I'm very proud of the interviews conducted this Sunday. I posed the right questions, tough questions, to Matt Gates, who took on those questions and answered them with practical ideas. He did well. And that's the thing. You rarely hear commentators, especially those with the stature of Maria Bartiromo go back and apologize for just being flat out wrong. She would go on to play an excerpt from the interview and, and then continue to correct herself. She also said that she sidebarred with uh, God Emperor of the Boomer Sweats, Mark Levin. And after speaking with Levin, would go on to say that he reiterated a lot of the talking points that Matt Gates had and said that they'd make sense. Here's the thing. It's kind of weird to me because during the speaker process, no one I know, because we played the clip for you guys on the show, Mark Levin's one of the monologues on his crappy show. He went into the, you know, Freedom Caucus and to the Trump Republicans in the House and said that the term America first was for spoiled brats and selfish. And now what in, in such a short amount of time, less than nine months here, you have Mark Levin telling Maria like, hey, listen, turns out that Matt Gates and the America first House Republicans are right. Yeah, this thing is a fucking disaster. And if we don't. This is the last chance, right? Joe Biden has legislative wins for the duration until the election if we cannot hold the line right here on this budget battle. The the single the single subject spending bills with has cuts. gotta be with cuts has gotta be one of the most important things that we could possibly do to save our country from fucking bankruptcy eventually. I mean we could just print money forever. Thirty three trillion with a two trillion dollar budget deficit on an annual basis. So you're now you're talking about we're running at thirty five trillion, screaming towards forty. But as we're printing all this money, we still have our enemies buying our debt, mm -hmm. which is not good. Are you talking about China? China.
And Russia was making a big stink about uh, gas prices today, too. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Well, you know, because... Is there tanks or oil burners? Mm. <laughs> hey, listen, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe to following and downloading the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Helps us out on the algorithms, the downloads, the top 100s, etc. Just want to remind all of our listenership that everything you're listening to today, before this, and shows forthcoming are 100% free. So our only incentive is to get you guys to subscribe to the show. The more shows get downloaded, the better we show up in the top 100. It makes our voice louder for you guys. In addition to that, across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. It's pretty funny. I checked in on our Instagram account yesterday. What's up there? Well, it's spiraling the drain pretty bad. Circle in the drain? Even worse. <laughs> so about, Why? What's going on? About 45 days ago, we were getting close to, uh, on average, a million reach. And I checked in yesterday, and we were at 8.6 thousand. Oh. Yeah. That's substantially less. So we are now at uh, 91.8% throttled <laughs> from just 45 days ago. What did you do? I started doing a lot of collabs with uh, pro-Trump, you know, MAGA Inc., mm, Rare yeah, Trumps, do it. Uh, some of Donald Trump's photographers and mm-hmm. videographers uh, do collabs with us. And as soon as I started agreeing to do the collabs and sharing them, whoosh, straight down. Well, it's just you look at all that stuff. It's There's a there's a con- concerted effort to anything Trump-related is going to be throttled on all levels. And even like when we saw we had uh, Trump Jr. on, mm-hmm. and immediately our notifications from the podcasting platform that posts the show mm-hmm. started going into our junk mail folder. Yeah. And then I was having problems with even your emails sending me the show notes to for upload going into the junk folder too. And you were one of my favorites in, in, in the actual email account. That was weird. Do better feds. Yeah. Do better feds. Stop. It's obvious. Kevin McCarthy gave a brief statement last night as negotiations went on till nearly 4 a.m. this morning talking about what he's focused on. Let's hear it. Matt Gates made another threat to your speakership on the House floor today. Are you worried at all that no. to bring up a CR? I mean, what no. do you make of the threats? He's made them for quite a while. Do you- have you have you seen Matt and what he said about me when we first started this? Look, people have got to get over personal differences. I'm focused on America. I think that's where America's looking right now as well. Uh, he never voted for me to start out with. I don't assume he's changing his position. He said a lot of things, and we waited through. The one thing I will always tell you is I'm never going to give up on America, and that's where my focus is going to be. If somebody has a personal difference with me, that's fine. They have the right to say it. They have the right to do it. Do whatever they Does can. Does that distract in this process, though, when he keeps hammering you on this? Is that a problem? I mean, he comes out every day with a little more pushing the envelope. Does it look like it bothers me? Well, that's why I'm asking you. No. If it doesn't. But is that is that distracting from this whole issue to fund the government address? No, the but it seems to do something for you. Well, no, what's gonna... oh, I'm, I, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm still not going to do my job. I'm still not going to do what I agreed to do. Nah. Just want to remind everybody. You know, it's pretty funny. Congressional Twitter was getting pretty spicy yesterday <laughs> because you know what they were talking about. What? Fifteen days to stop the spread in regards oh. to the government shutdown. <laughs> Just going to be a short shutdown. Nothing's going to change. 15 days to slow the spread. We just want to stop the spread of rampant spending. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a kind of a, a little bit of an in there because this gets nasty if the government shuts down. Like right now we're still kind of civil and, and working things out because everybody's getting paid and everyone's on the clock. The American public expects us to go through the process. 
the Democrats take their ball and go home if the government gets shut down on Friday, and then things are going to get a lot harder. You think the $6 billion for Ukraine, it'll probably wind up being $10 million in an omnibus bill uh, by the time we get back to the negotiation table. Speaker McCarthy mentioned Matt Gates on the House floor yesterday. He had negotiated a letter to Jake Sullivan at the State Department wanting to know where the over $100 billion in cash, in addition to the totality of it, which is about a quarter of a trillion dollars total, that has gone to Ukraine since the conflict started with Russia back in last February. Him, Chip Roy, and J.D. Vance came together to write this letter. Matt Gates was talking about it. Not only that, but getting to a solution that might include Democrats at the end of the day is something that I think the American public wants to see as long as it has spending cuts. Let's check it out. And our record in this country right now is $33 trillion in debt facing $2 trillion annual deficits. We're in so much debt. We're driving up deficits so fast. We are devaluing American money so rapidly that in America today, you can't even bribe Democrat senators with cash alone. You need to bring gold bars to get the job done just so that the bribes hold value. My friends, I am extremely in favor of this rule because this rule moves us on to single subject spending bills and this is the only way to liberate this house and this country from the scourge of governing by continuing resolution and omnibus legislation it is an insult to our governing authority to have the senate lash ukraine funding to the reauthorization of the FAA, and by the way, every other thing in government, the American people know that in our state legislatures throughout this land, there is a maturity and a seriousness to set a top-line, balanced budget number, and then appropriate to each of the agencies of government independently. And the fact that we don't do that is not a bug of the system, it's a feature of the system. Yep. And the one thing I agree with my Democrat colleagues on is that for the last eight months, this House has been poorly led. Oof. And we own that, and we have to do something about it. And you know what? My Democrat colleagues will have an opportunity to do something about that too. And we will see if they bail out our failed speaker. Ooh. Mm. Kind of putting the... Uh all in the House Dems court if they want to do a motion to vacate and, you know, will they go and vote for McCarthy to stay in or, or will they put up someone of their own liking? We'll have to see. The underlying bullshitness of this has to do with the Ukraine funding. $6 billion for Ukraine is absolutely unacceptable, especially after Zelensky's behavior in Washington, D.C. last week, which continued in Canada the day after. I don't know if you guys had heard about this. It's kind of got under the radar with all the other crap going on. So did you, did you hear that you're your good friend Noah Vladimir fired 12 defense ministers over the course of the last few weeks for, you'll never guess, corruption. You're fired. In addition to that, it looks like somewhere around a billion dollars of U.S. taxpayer-funded aid that went to Ukraine has somehow disappeared with one of these defense ministers. Weird. So He's, in a suitcase is what you're saying. He sat down for an interview. Because it's all cash we're giving him, right? Well... More or less. We like pallets of cash. Yeah, but like we're giving them mostly cash mm -hmm. because there's not really a good way to transfer that money to them, right? No. So, yeah, there's – that's why people do things with cash because so, there's no fucking paper trail except for the actual paper cash. But PBS wanted some receipts. They sat down with Vladimir for an interview while he was up on Capitol Hill last week. Wait till you hear the excuse he gives on to whether or not the American taxpayers have been screwed over on the aid that has gone to the country since the start of the conflict, you're going to literally shit your pants. Check this out. Firing First of all, you have to know, 
All these cases, all, the, all these cases are not with the help, are not connecting that. Your impersonation is spot on, by the way. Not connected with the help of our partners. So it's not about the weapon of our partners or money for the weapon or uh, money for the uh, budget to uh, give uh, pensions, social support, etc. It's in other cases. It's not about the partners. So, so part this, these are Ukrainian These funds are Ukrainian cases. But anyway, yes, but anyway, it doesn't matter for me now. We will fight and will in the We will do whatever we want. But again, I'm underlining it's not the money of our partners. Also, it's important to know. Finally, 600 days of war for you, nonstop work. Um, how are you holding up and do you get depressed? Do you, how, how are you managing? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm... Vagina. I'm okay. So I can live with it. And I... I Sometimes I don't spend much time I there. I don't have a lot of time, but sometimes I'm looking on my children. Yes. Oh, he's trying to get dramatic. Mm -hmm. They are in Ukraine. They are very. Oh, they're in Ukraine. It's such fucking bullshit. Just to reiterate what he said, <laughs> Noah, he says the defense minister that was fired, Minister Reznikov, did not steal. Over a billion dollars from the U.S. taxpayers. He stole it from the Ukrainian. That money. is his money once it gets there, so therefore he stole it from the taxpayers of Ukraine. Oh, I thought he was saying it was like, this is money that we already had, and we and then he stole it. Mm. So it, that doesn't make any fucking sense. If, if I have two plates next to each other, and I start putting money on the plate to my right, mm -hmm. and then you scoop the money from the plate to the right, to the plate further right. I like that. Would the plate for the right be my plate? Well, it depends on who steals from it. Mm. And then you take from one of the plates. It's still the same fucking money, you asshole. Yeah. That's what what a fucking rim job. <laughs> Our congressmen and women are tired of it. We saw last week that Poland said they're not going to be given the same kind of aid funding and, and military assistance to Ukraine that they had given from the start of the conflict. And I think a lot of countries are going to be looking at Reworking those numbers now as we move forward. And somebody should start putting up Ukrainian flags with the dollar sign in the middle of it. Ooh, well, I mean, the people are just putting up swastika flags now, and it's kind of... <laughs> so many people really? were sharing that stuff from the Canadian Parliament where they essentially celebrated someone who fought alongside the Nazis during World War II. And, and you know, somebody sent me a post on Twitter, and they're like, hey, wherever... someone, They're like, the person that, that created this post is shooting their shot. If it fits into your feed share it. And I looked and it was like a long paragraph and then literally a Nazi flag. So I, I, I immediately messaged him back. I'm like, whose feed does this fit into? I said, <laughs> I would never post this. No. So, but that's neither here nor there. No, it's, it's the, it's the most ironic, hilarious thing ever that that happened in Canada. Because like I, I mentioned this like forever ago during the trucker protests, there was a guy who I'm friends with on, on Instagram, and mm -hmm. he was posting because there was some fucking wackadoo with a freaking Tupperware container on his head and a mm. Nazi flag that was at the trucker protest. And he's like, well, what do you call 25, however many truckers with one Nazi? And it's like, however many numbers of all Nazis. And it's like, okay, well, what do you call however many people are in par parliament and one Nazi? Yeah. Well, same fucking answer. That's it. Yeah. Well, they get a standing ovation too. Please clap. Please clap.
Listen, we're going to continue to track the House divided and the battle over the budget right now. We're going to get a live update as best we can with Congressman Josh Breachin for the first time. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Wednesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a congressman representing Oklahoma's 2nd Congressional District, sitting down for the first time today with Mr. Josh Burkeen. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, happy to do it. And, Rowan, you knocked it out of the park on the, the enunciation of that last name. Thanks for that, man. Don't, don't, don't worry. I'll probably murder it on the way out. But uh, here, <laughs> here we are. You guys came highly recommended from some of our awesome congressional uh men and women that we have on the show recently, Corey Mills, Wesley Hunt, Eli Crane, et cetera. And they said, you guys have been absolutely killing it up there, holding the line for us. We saw so many great things over the course of the last week, you know, fighting over these appropriation bills. You guys obviously are no on the never ending funding to Ukraine. Congressman, we want to jump right into it. You know, it's Wednesday. We got the looming government shutdown coming at the end of the business day on Friday. Can you give our listenership a little bit of an update on where everything's at? Yeah, look, the the update is many of us last week were saying that the appropriation bills driving to a number that is meaningful cuts matters. And we didn't complete the summer project. Uh, the homework is supposed to be done from, you know, in June, July and be done in August. Twelve appropriation bills at 10 years ago were commonplace and Congress has failed to, to do that really as much as any other time in our nation's history in the last uh, many years, 10 years. So returning to normal process matters. But for, for me, where I was in discussion with leadership last week was I want to see us try to get to the pre-COVID spending levels on so many of these non-defense um, agencies. And then, look, once you drive to a top line number, then you can drill it down and say, you guys have gone not only outside constitutional bounds, but you're ridiculous. And so you get a cut. You get a real bad cut. Um, you get a haircut. I ranch. And uh, when I feed in wintertime at times, you, you know, you have a cow that will have, you know, be her third, fourth calf. She handles winter a little better than some others. Uh, first calf heifer, she comes in there and uh, you got to give her a little more feed. And, you know, in government, oftentimes we don't really do the the uh, true management to see those agencies that are really bloated compared to those that are lean already. And when you drive down to a top number that means cuts are going to happen, what well, Congress really has to dive in and, and line item, figure out the spending. They've not had to do that because they keep plussing up the numbers and there's no accountability. Yeah, that's the, the accountability part is, you know, just to be able to keep it going year after year and just adding things onto it, never looking at cutting. And then what happened during the pandemic where so much was added onto it, and now the fight is to get back to, you know, pre-COVID numbers. And it seems like so many people in the establishment and everybody on the left is just so reluctant to go back to those days because, you know, you take out so many facets of the things that yeah, slow the government down, like work from home and more regulations and all this stuff. And of course, funding for Ukraine. Which is, you know, so funny. We see nearly $6 billion in funding for Ukraine is mashed into these appropriations right now, and definitely in the CR, which Chuck Schumer presented to the Senate yesterday. But we don't see anything additional, uh, you know, in regards to the border security, which is ramped up now to the worst numbers that we've seen, believe it or yeah. not, throughout the course of the entire Biden administration so far, Congressman. And here's the thing. 
you know, these if we have a government shutdown on Friday, the men and women who go down there and serve every day, they're going to be going down there and not getting a paycheck every two weeks for as long as you guys can take to, you know, get the budget hashed out, which is, you know, you've already outlined where, where the, the, the blame for that lies. So it's not like you personally or the House Republicans that are fighting for a single bill and, and, and trim fat as far as the appropriations go. But the fact of the matter is they still have to do this job. And, and you know, what is it that you guys have not been able to capitalize on the win that HR2 getting passed was in the House earlier in the year? So Alejandro Mayorkas has to actually follow the rule of law and do his job. Well, ultimately, the American people have not demanded it through their members of Congress to, to the nth degree. Now, that is starting to shift. You've got New York. Um, you've got Democrats in New York saying this president's wrong on what he's doing at the border. You've got a a mayor who said, quote, this is going to destroy this city. And he's talking about, uh, you know, 100,000 some total. And, you know, you spend a month in Texas, they'll have that number. And so New York is just now experiencing what Texas has been experiencing for years. So it's changing their political landscape. And now you're seeing um, both Democrats and Republicans from that from that state starting to be responsive to this issue. So it's look, it was, it was seen as a political uh, move for the governors that said we're going to send them to New York City. Uh, man, applaud those governors now because they've helped change the dynamic for for people across this nation to feel what Texas, Arizona um, and New Mexico have been feeling to a greater level than others. No, it's, it's definitely it right there. And then when you look at uh, just, just the optic of it, you've got, like you said, public officials getting booed openly. You have people getting uh, detained in places like New York for like picketing outside of places. But then there's like the sad aspects of it. I did see the interview over the weekend where there was like a 95-year-old veteran who was removed from uh, a place where they were housing uh, veterans in, for, you know, long-term care. And they were moved to a whole bunch of separate other facilities so they could use that facility to house the migrants that are coming. I mean, you've got the hotel in in, in Manhattan that's getting used by thousands of migrants right now. And we've gotten to the point to where like there has to be some kind of a break. They just can't keep, you know, letting these people in and and without any repercussion or consequence. So we're hoping moving forward, we see a lot of the aspects of HR2 finally get, uh, you know, applied down at the southern border and get some relief, not only for the people who live in all those border cities who've been absolutely wrecked for the last couple decades because of rampant and, and open borders, but a lot of the men and women who are protecting our country, we've seen assaults, suicides, and and then not being able to retain staff in the Border Patrol and with customs and ICE over the last couple of years, mainly due to the fact of Joe Biden's open border policies. Yeah, the suicide rate for the Border Patrol, when they've got 20,000 at the southern border, the suicide rate um, is larger than it is for the New York City uh, Police Department, which has 35,000 officials. So put that in context. New York City, you know, what they're seeing is violent behavior, murder, rape. And yet you have the suicide rate with the 19,000, much lower number than the 35,000 New York NYPD. And so it tells you what's happened when you um, are when they feel aimless, purposeless and just feel like they're, uh, you know, babysitting the entrance of, of these migrants from all over the world in the United States versus what under the Trump administration was true offense offense to be able to to make them go back across the border, stay there. If your asylum um, fear is valid, that's a different deal. But if it's just bogus, um, you know, I don't think any of us um, believe that everybody coming across there claiming credible fear is, is based in credible fear. They're gaming the system. 
Yeah, they certainly are. And they're all saying it's because Joe Biden has invited them to do so. You know, when we talk to so many people, a lot of Border Patrol agents like reach out to the show all the time, kind of give us like a real good look at what's going on down there. Plus, we host a lot of the people who do on the ground reporting. Like, I believe Jorge Ventura works for News Nation. We have the former acting director of ICE, Tom Holman, on the show every month. He gives us a real first person perspective of what it's like down there. And you know, we just trying to support these people. I, I see all the social media, no matter how much they try to show how bad Joe Biden's open border policies are for the United States. It's just like with the congressmen and women. You guys are fighting, but people are still negative in your comments on social media. Like, do something like I don't think people yeah. under, people don't understand that this is like a vote based system. It is for a reason. And, and like you yeah. said, people are being exposed now. The, the The small minority that are holding the line and actually saying, why we need to get to larger numbers so we can increase the possibility of getting things like appropriation passed. You can't just have all those conservatives who go out there and vote for whichever way the leadership wants to go because it's the way it's always been done. We have to make changes. We have to cut spending. Uh, $35 trillion total when you talk about the annual budget deficit. It's just too much. So, Congressman, last thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, you've got a day and a half left before you guys hit the weekend in the deadline. I know you guys are working hard. I saw some more appropriations bills were being negotiated in committee today. Where do you see this process kind of ending, and uh, what are you looking at moving forward to get the job done? Uh, people honoring what we talked about last week, that we can get these appropriations done to 1525, uh, um, and that's $1.526 I should say it that way. And that that uh, there's trust in the conference that we're going to mean what we say and say what we mean. And we get appropriations to that level. I think uh, the the concept of a stopgap measure that is at that is much lower spending, that would be a one hundred and fifteen billion dollar cut if it's a true cut stopgap. And we can get seventy five percent of the government funded through regular appropriations process. And to buy us another 10 days to say we're going to do a stopgap measure that has a meaningful $115 billion cut with true border enforcement, uh, in my mind, that's not a continuing resolution. Continuing resolution in truth is you're continuing the policies and the status quo of the year prior. So it has to be, if we need a stopgap measure, it is only going to be based upon people knowing that we're driving the 12 appropriation bills to a real cut and that the the stopgap measure has absolute cuts and absolute border security within it. I think, you know, if you don't have those things, um, then, then some of us who have felt like that there was less than uh, enthusiasm for cutting, then that that's going to bear out. If if those things I just uh, outlined don't come together. No, yeah, it makes total sense. And, you know, when you look at just the, the junk that was in Chuck Schumer's uh, proposed CR yesterday, if we get a, just a, another standard status quo CR, all it's going to do is give Democrat leadership the time to work on the eventual omnibus that they're going to present to us and be like, hey, it's shut down forever or we fund the government with this. And you guys don't want to be pushed up against that wall. I think you guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job uh, fighting back and, and making it known to the American public just exactly what's going on behind the scenes as well. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you for the first First time today. We're going to hope that you come back at some point in the future. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anybody that's not following you and wants to check you out, where can they do so? Uh, Burkeen.house.gov. It's B-R-E-C-H-E-E-N.house.gov. And look, I think American people need to be telling their members of Congress. Um, we we believe this president is the one who's going to make the decision uh, about whether or not he shuts down government or he listens to the voice of the American people at large here saying, shut down your inflation driven by overspending and shut down the border. 
That's it right there. This is the congressman that's representing Oklahoma's second congressional district. Representative Josh Burkeen, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. No, you too. Today he'll go join a picket line, a picket line that he created. It'll be interesting to see those auto workers ask the president about his policies that subsidize electric cars that are putting them out of business and sending their jobs overseas. This president has failed time and again. We've got pickets across the country. We've got a border wide open. We've got embassies that have to be evacuated. We've got allies that are now turning to China. This lack of leadership under this president has failed us time and again. And that was Kevin McCarthy basically providing some commentary on Joe Biden's visit to Michigan yesterday, a day ahead of President Trump, who will be speaking there tonight as part of, I guess you could call it alternative television in regards to the debate, which will be aired at the same time on Fox. Newsmax is going to be covering President Trump instead. So is News Nation and a couple other conservative outlets. Noah, when you see the head-to-head matchup between the uh, best of the rest in the Republican primary versus a President Trump speaking event, what do you think? Oh, there's going to be no no contest. People are going to want to watch a debate with a bunch of stuffed suits that may or may not have the best interests in America at heart Mm. versus Donald Trump, who has done nothing but make America better. It's, It's pretty night and day when you look at the way the auto industry has been treated during yeah, the Trump you, presidency. How are you going to argue? Like, oh, I'm here to support the auto industry. How so? You want to do electric cars and basically just hamstring the entire operation while sending all of our jobs overseas. And then, you know, you're, you're giving slave labor children jobs, at least, I guess. Well, that's true. We can't forget about them. Make sure you get out there and, and buy your iPhone 15 as well. Yeah, get your lithium mined batteries. <laughs> Those, Small hands, small like cabbage. Just want to remind all of our listeners, too, the auto industry was bailed out in 2003. Yeah. And Donald Trump reinvigorated the auto industry here domestically throughout the course of the first Trump administration. You want to talk about bailouts. There was a 400% increase in salaries of the executives who govern the auto companies during the pandemic. And now... Wait, say that again. Yeah. A 400% increase in the salaries of those who govern the auto industry, the owners, the CEOs, the corporate executives, et cetera. Not the people actually that are working for a living. No, no. They, they've, they've received less than a 2% raise since before the start of the pandemic, and that's including now under the Bidenomics economy. You know what that kind of reminds me of in like kind of a weird stark comparison? The fact that while this government shutdown potentially is happening or is going to happen, mm-hmm going to be a lot of people working for free while all the managers owners mm. and higher-ups yep. in ukraine are getting paid Ooh. with our tax dollars that we didn't want to give them so regardless of whether we want to give it to them or not they're going to do it anyway yeah it's, it's pretty uh pretty wild the times we're living in yeah if, if we actually voted on whether or not we gave this much money to Ukraine, there's no fucking way it would actually happen. Nope. And I would just like to remind people, when you go to the ballot box, that is what you're voting for. And all of these moderate Republicans who are holding up votes in the House with our slim margin of power right now, it might be time to start, you know, some of those names that have been a a reliable source of voting for the last couple decades in some cases. I mean, you talk about Chris Smith in New Jersey and people like him. Maybe it's time to, to really start thinking about primary challengers. And although they might not be the most 
moderate of candidates for the area you live in, do you want your government shut down? Do you want to pay $10 a carton for 12 eggs at the grocery store or $8 for a gallon of milk forever? Do you want your kids taught pronouns instead of math and English at school forever? You know, it's like, do you want vaccine mandates at your kids' schools when you see, like, now famous people's kids passing out with heart attacks? Do you want to start having to wear masks again, even though they don't do anything scientifically proven? They don't do shit. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. You know, we have to get back to uh, sensible government again, and that's what we've gotten so far away from that they make it seem like the clown world and the absolute shit show that we're living in is normal. So Kevin McCarthy spoke on, on Joe Biden's visit to Michigan yesterday. He he spoke for a whopping 86 seconds. And how much of it was intelligible? I've got the clip. You tell me. Let's hear it. <laughs> Look at him. Sounds like all 10 people there were enthused. The matter is that you guys, the UAW, you saved the automobile industry back in 2008. And I'm going to ruin it. Made a lot of sacrifices. Gave up a lot. And the companies were in trouble. Get ready to give up more. Now they're doing incredibly well. Now you're in trouble again. guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too. So obviously Kamala Harris, the speechwriter, wrote that one. You deserve People did not sound really that enthused. They're just like, yeah, we're here. No. I'm here for the free hot dogs. And, you know, unlike the cases with the U.S. southern border and East Palestine, Ohio, and all of the other disasters that Joe Biden has created both foreign and domestically throughout the course of his presidency, this was the one time that he took the opportunity to go and beat Donald Trump somewhere uh, because Donald Trump had announced two weeks ago that he was going to do this in regards to uh, not going to the debate. And he put out a statement yesterday regarding Joe Biden's visit. I'm going to read it right now. This is from the Trump campaign. This is nothing more than a PR stunt from crooked Joe Biden to distract and gaslight the American people away from his disastrous Bidenomics policies that have led to so much economic misery across the country. The fact that President Trump will be the nominee and will beat Joe Biden because he's the only person who can supercharge the economy, secure our border, and safeguard our communities. Americans want to return to a prosperous nation and there's only one person that can do that. You guessed it. It's President Trump. Yeah, I really don't think Joe Biden achieved anything by going yesterday. How I does mean, anybody believe him? Like, anybody that works in the auto industry that believes anything that guy's fucking saying other than, well, like, hey, if you show up to this uh, event and cheer for Joe Biden, we'll make sure you work at the electric vehicle plant. Yeah, that's that's the new version of Learn to Code. Yeah. We, we saw some alarming statistics that came out this weekend in regards to some polls. We're going to get to more polls later on, but disastrous for Joe Biden. So I don't know if you saw this, Noah. There was a Washington Post poll that was conducted that showed 
Donald Trump was up 10 points on Joe Biden in the general election. From WAPO? They immediately, after having it on their shows in the morning, you know, ABC and NBC and shows like that said that this, they considered this poll an outlier and that not too much interest to be given to it. An outlier. Mm -hmm. An outlier. We love our outlier polls. (laughs) Has that ever been brought up as an actual thing? No, that's a head-to-head matchup that shows Donald Trump at 52%, 10 points over Joe Biden at 42. How, how does that – this is a this is an outlier. Yes, this is something that happened. The polls are showing what the, what the people want. I'm actually thinking that, uh, you know, now it's getting hard. What are they going to say? Like, this is a poll of only MAGA Republicans. <laughs> it's like they're, they're getting – it's getting harder and harder to hide the fact that the American people are absolutely disgusted uh, with this president and his policies – and, you know, the virtue singling and this, that, and the other thing, the DEI hires and the ruination of our government, and they're, they're just absolutely fed up with it and, and not going to be taking it too much longer because this has turned into an absolute disaster. So an outlier in statistics is a data point that differs significantly from other observations. Hmm. An outlier may be due to a variability in the measurement and an indication of novel data or it may be the result of experimental error. The latter are sometimes excluded from the data set. Uh-huh. An outlier can be an indication of exciting possibility, but can also cause serious problems in statistical analyses. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I understand what they're trying to say, but... But here's the thing. If you look at the Republican primary where Donald Trump started at, you know, up in the teens and then the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, now depending on the poll, sometimes 60 points. If Donald Trump for a number of weeks had been tied with Joe Biden, then up by one and then five, some show seven... Wouldn't the next step in the progression to, I mean, if this is the way that Donald Trump is trending with the American people now to be up as many as 10 points in some polls? Yeah. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Here's ABC's Rick Klein on Sunday morning trying to quell the flames of the firestorm that started from this poll being released and talked about on the Sunday morning news circuit. Let's check it out. Martha, maybe the most startling number in our poll is this, the, the hypothetical matchup, a rematch of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Our poll with the, with the Washington Post pegging this at 51 percent uh, for, for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. That is a nine point edge. Now, that's only a couple of points difference from our last poll in May, but it is significantly different than most right recent mm-hmm. polls. It is an outlier compared to other oh, polls we've God. seen recently. Our partners at 538 put together an analysis for us. They find an average of recent polls having this more in the one or two point range with Joe Biden typically having the edge. But whether you believe that or not, uh, look, there's a good chance that there's people just trying to send a message in the polling right now, given the other frustration we've seen. We know in this poll there's some uh, some quirks, some oddities around the number of black voters and Hispanic voters, the the younger voters who seem to be supporting Donald Trump. And get this, because it's pretty hard to believe. But we ask people whether Donald Trump should be constitutionally uh, disqualified for running for office. And among people who said yes, one in five, about 18 percent, say they'd vote for Trump anyway. So that (laughs) might just be sending a message that's more anti-Biden than it is pro-Trump. But regardless, the the weaknesses that we are seeing uh, for Joe Biden and his approval rating across the board are very real. They are alarming to Democrats, even if no one thinks this is ultimately going to be a nine point race. So there's that. I mean, he was almost manic in his trying to... Talk about it. They actually said that their poll on the show was one point less than the 10-point margin you saw from the Washington Post. And then when you do the average of polls, it still shows Donald Trump within the margin of error. And and in many of those instances, up at least a point and a half on Joe Biden, which has kind of been the norm. I mean, 
I, I don't buy into the outlier. I, look at it this way. How many hundreds of thousands of United States auto workers have been disenfranchised in the last couple of weeks? Mm-hmm. That, that covers all races, all demographics, all creeds and religions. I'm pretty sure those people aren't, aren't stoked to go to the ballot box and vote for Joe Biden next year at this point. And some of them still will because they're just fucking insane. Trump sure. derangement syndrome. Yeah. Thanks, Atlanta and Philadelphia. Mm. But anyways, you know, it, it, it's kind of uh, the way that the week had been going. Not so good for Joe Biden. Uh, I did see now he almost fell down the stairs of Air Force One coming out of the 10-step cargo hold. Jesus. When he got to Michigan yesterday as well. And, you know, with the American public over 60% now thinking that a government shutdown will be because of him and his policies and not because of the dozen or so House Republicans that are holding up the continuing resolution to keep the government funded, which is I think is fantastic. So th- that's kind of where Joe Biden was at until yesterday when we heard some bombshell news. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to, following, and downloading the Steak for Breakfast content. Helps us out in the algorithm, helps our message, which is your message, be heard in the top 100 as well. Help amplify the show, support all of our free content by simply subscribing to it on any social media platform. We really appreciate it. And then on our all social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find our accounts, follow, and hit the notification bell. So CNN was so, I believe, worried with some of this information that had been coming out about President Trump over the course of the last week in polls and, and stuff like that. They want to sound the alarm on what a Trump presidency for all of their boomer Democrat viewership would look like. So, of course, they bring out Russiagate proprietor, signer as one of the 51 former intelligence officials on the Russian disinformation regarding Hunter Biden's laptop, and now part of the new DHS election dismiss and malinformation board, James Clapper, to talk about the perspective of possibly going to jail if Donald Trump wins the election next year. <laughs> Let's hear it. In a recent profile, uh, General Milley raised the possibility that he thought if Trump was reelected, he would throw his opponents in jail. He said that he would be at the top of the list. Do you think that that's a real concern? And are you concerned that you could be on Trump's enemies list? <laughs> well, sure. Uh, I think there are probably uh, a lot of people uh, that are potentially uh, on such a list. Uh, uh-huh. And again, that's uh, that's reprehensible. Uh, I, I think General Milley's comment was he didn't think Gen- uh, President Trump would uh, be reelected. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Mm. So yeah, that's a that's a real concern for uh, for many of us. Mm. And that's the thing: someone who was running point on the RussiaGate investigation and, and you know spying on the Trump campaign, telling everybody that Donald Trump was a Russian asset in 2015. 15 and then 16 when he was elected it was because the russians helped him get there uh you know this guy who signed off on the hunter biden laptop when he knew it was straight up genuine and now sits on on the board that will be investigating election uh miss mal and disinformation Mm. with his good friend ale ale orcus former co-captain of the beverly hills varsity tennis team he was a co-captain co-captain wow he get the extra short shorts if you're the co-captain. He certainly did, and I have got the pictures. <laughs> he had a nice little afro, too. It was funny. Allie had an afro? It's just like, you know, the, the curly quaff on top. Oh, he had the sideshow bob. Yeah. So And he is one now. Mm. But but the thing is, is that, you know, these guys are starting to shit their beds because they understand that, listen, 
there are probably people in like the media and stuff like that who Donald Trump don't like. But when you want to talk about people who have legitimately committed crimes and then were never investigated and let off scot-free, it's people like Comey and Clapper and Brennan and Newland and, you know, uh, the people over at the Justice Department and Alejandro Mayorkas. And you got to be able to really understand General Milley, too. I mean, General Milley has admitted through his book that he was contacting his Chinese counterparts without Donald Trump knowing, saying that he didn't feel confident in the mental state of the president after the 2020 presidential election. That's treasonous not, not really normal, yeah. No, it certainly isn't. And, and if that wasn't bad enough for the Biden administration, we had this news break yesterday. James Comer finally got a really good and hard receipt regarding Joe Biden's connectivity tissue to Hunter Biden's international business dealings, this one, namely China. The news broke late in the afternoon, was washed out of the news cycle because of all the other drama, but let's check it out. Moments ago, we learned that Hunter Biden received wires originating in Beijing for more than a quarter million dollars from Chinese business partners during the summer of 2019. Now, the wire transfer itself used Joe Biden's Wilmington address on the forms. Joining me now, Congressman James Comer, Oops. chairman of the House Oversight Committee. Uh, Congressman, what does this mean? What can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that on the wire that Hunter Biden received from the Chinese National, uh, the beneficiary address listed was Joe Biden's home address Oops. at a time where I'm pretty certain Hunter Biden was not living in the home of Joe Biden. But if you if you go back even further than that, this Jonathan Lee, who wired the $260,000 from China to Hunter Biden's personal account, uh, he is part of the, the Chinese Communist Party. He is, is a huge business person in China uh, with a Chinese-backed entity that funds investments in the United States. So what the the one issue in Congress that Democrats and Republicans agree on is we don't want China taking over industries important to our national security. We won't want China buying farmland. This is the guy that does that. Jonathan Lee is the person who represents China. And if you research it, Joe Biden met with Jonathan Lee. He wrote a letter of recommendation for his child to get into college in the oh. United States. There is a relationship that was developed between Joe Biden and Jonathan Lee when he was vice president. And now we have evidence that Jonathan Lee, who Joe Biden said his son never took any money from, said his son never took any money from China. Joe, uh, Hunter Biden's lawyer said that Hunter never received any money from this guy. We have evidence that he received over a quarter of a million dollars. And the address listed on the wire was Joe Biden's personal residence. Oh, Congressman, I was reading something on, um, I think it was on X, on formerly known as Twitter. People were saying, well, but this happened before Joe was president, <laughs> before he became president in January 2020. How, why does that matter? It doesn't matter. And it, it happened while Joe Biden was a candidate for president. He was already running for president of the United States. And this wire from China, who's our biggest enemy, that's the one thing. In this, in this hall where, I, where I'm currently being interviewed, there's massive disagreement on funding levels for the government. I don't think that's any secret. One thing that we all agree on is China's a threat to the United States. And here we have more evidence of the Biden family receiving millions and millions of dollars from our adversarial country for who knows what. The Bidens never have said what they did to receive the money. What did Hunter Biden do 
to receive a quarter of a million dollars from a Chinese national well, affiliated with the Chinese Communist well, Party. Mm. Well, maybe it was just more blow art, Congressman, that lovely art that I know you'd love to have hanging in your living room. Congressman. No Botox queen. Blow art. No pun intended. <sighs> she gets her face blown back every week with Botox <laughs> injections. Absolutely maddening. So here we go. That's a receipt. It's current. 2019, it links Hunter Biden's international business dealings to a Chinese national who is known for buying large amounts of property in the United States, who has an established business and personal relationship with Joe Biden. Because if it's not just business related, Joe Biden probably wouldn't be writing letters of recommendation for that Chinese national's daughter to get admitted to U.S. colleges. And it shows a sum of money in excess of a quarter of a million dollars being funneled from said Chinese national to Hunter Biden's personal account, not a shell company, not an LLC. And the address used on the wire transfer was Joe Biden's home address in Delaware. Oops hate when that happens so it's one of those things right now i never discussed business with my son and i'm proud of my son smartest guy he knows smartest guy i know you know who was a bad dude corn pop was a bad dude. you ain't black <laughs> here's the thing if you don't vote for me you're not voting for Zelensky. Mm. wait what blaming matt gates for everything donald trump's court ruling in new york and the fake primary debate, which airs tonight, dominated the news cycle yesterday. But through two segments of news already, we've brought you the actual news that is not only it and impactful to you, but honestly, what is going on behind the scenes and, and really what is dominating the news cycle right now. We have to be able to uh, hope that James Comer and all the great work that him and Jim Jordan, the Ways and Means Committee chairman, are doing as part of this investigation into Joe Biden continues to ramp up. And we're going to be bringing you every single receipt that they've got. This one was a physical one yesterday. Hopefully we'll have more moving forward. We're getting ready to jump in with the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., Caroline Levin. Really excited for that. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Wednesday edition of the Steak Records podcast. She's the official spokeswoman for Make America Great Again, Inc., one of our great friends, Always happy to sit down with Miss Caroline Levin. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you guys so for having me again. You're the best. No, you're the best. And, and you guys have been putting out <laughs> fire content, working so hard. Caroline, I can't turn on a conservative news channel uh, these days and not see you joining somebody's show <laughs> to get the message out, hammering the opposition, talking about Agenda 47. You have been working literally tirelessly and we want to be able to give you the credit you deserve here on the show why don't you tell our listenership about all the great stuff you've been doing lately 
Oh, well, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be fighting the good fight on behalf of DJT, the best president this nation has ever seen. And we'll see again in a few short months. Thank goodness. Uh, and so we've been, you know, just pushing our message all over the place on Newsmax. I just did a, a, uh, a panel interview on Fox News Network with one of DeSantis's uh, surrogates, and it didn't go very well for him, many people are saying. Uh, and so I'm very excited to watch the debate this week and see how Ron DeSantis performs. Many are saying that uh, if he doesn't have a spectacular stellar night, that's it for his campaign, and he's on his way to dropping out. So we'll have to see how that goes. But I'm also looking forward mainly to President Trump's speech in Detroit, Michigan, where he'll be uh, touting his plan to reinvigorate America's auto industry, which, as you guys know, is the backbone of our American economy, has been for uh, more than 100 years. And so those workers uh, deserve, deserve a fair shake. They deserve a president that actually hears their concerns and, and can cut a deal for them, right, for both the companies and the workers. That's very important. Uh, we should be winning on both sides. And President Trump wants everyone to win. He wants to make all of us richer. And so I'm looking forward to listening to his policy speech uh, on that specific uh, industry tonight. You know, you talk about it. Joe Biden went and spoke for, I believe, 86 seconds yesterday to the auto workers unions who are striking right now. It, obviously, the only reason they have gotten to this point is because of Joe Biden's radical policies. We even saw this week uh, a federal judge knock down one of the regulations Joe Biden was trying to do to kill some more offshore drilling uh, for oil and natural gas. Listen, they're going to get the other side of the coin tonight where the auto industry was flourishing under Donald Trump. If your manufacturing plants weren't reopening or getting completely fitted with government funding under the last Trump administration, they were taxing and tariffing your competition to make sure that your wages went up. Uh, the economy led to robust 401ks for all of these auto workers, especially the ones who are unionized as well. And, and life was just better under Donald Trump. I know he's not going to speak for 86 seconds. He's probably going to speak for at least 86 minutes tonight, Caroline. <laughs> but but when they see what the perspective is and how much of a night and day change, I still can't believe, honestly, that Joe Biden went out there yesterday. Literally the man that's killing the auto industry, Pete Buttigieg, was on the news this morning reiterating it, saying whether people want it or not, the EV revolution is, is happening. That can all end on, on January 20th, 2025, and Donald Trump's going to give them a little teaser of it tonight. Don't you agree that, you know, the way back for the auto industry to explode again in the United States is only through Agenda 47 and what President Trump's bringing to the table? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up Pete Buttigieg's comments. He says that the EV revolution is going to happen no matter what. According to whom, right? But no, that's not how capitalism works, okay? Capitalism works when you rein when you allow the free market to thrive um, and when the government supports capitalism and supports these workers and brings their labor back home, which is exactly what Donald Trump did. If you look at the, the records between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, it, they're incomparable. Those work workers are unfortunately on the picket line today feeling as though they're not getting a fair shake because of Bidenomics. Their wages are down, their pensions are down while inflation is up. Their, their real wages are not keeping up with inflation, and Joe Biden has pushed for these ridiculous socialist electric vehicle mandates that are hurting the bottom lines of these great American companies and preventing them from investing in their workers. When Donald Trump was president, he created more than 450,000 manufacturing jobs in his first 30 months in office. He renegotiated NAFTA, which was a horrific ripoff trade deal that Joe Biden long supported through his decade, decades career as a politician. And President Trump also uh, 
you know, there was no inflation. You never heard the word inflation under his administration. So people had more money in their wallets. And so he has said to these auto workers directly, with four more years of Joe Biden, you are going to be penniless and jobless because you'll be so broke because of his inflation and your jobs are going to go over to China. And he's 100% right. And so, again, I'm looking forward to watching uh, his speech tonight, unveiling his Agenda 47 plan to end Joe Biden's disastrous job-killing policies for our great American auto industry. Yeah, that's it right there. And, you know, when you mentioned the debate to, to lead in here, I mean, man, how can I say this nicely? We don't care. I, we'll, we'll cover some of, like, the funny one-liners from it probably on our Friday edition of the show just to show people how, you know, much of an embarrassment the best of the rest is in the GOP primary. We should really be at the point be right now in, in the campaign where it's, you know, people are abandoning their aspirations to run for president because they have no chance. And, uh, you know, putting their money and their support behind Donald Trump, who's clearly the leader anywhere between 30 and 60 points, depending on the poll or the day. You know, I, I saw this long thread on on X last night, formerly Twitter, where somebody like was like paragraph after paragraph, like making a case of Vivek being able to skim voters after this debate from people like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. And then I just put a comment. I said, when you're talking about between four to nine percent of the total vote that's in every poll right now, does it really matter whose votes that he's skimming off? It obviously doesn't, Caroline. I mean, what are you going to be watching? I'm sure you're going to be watching the debate with a little bit of popcorn, laughing at some of these jokers who are just trying to get, <laughs> but it's really a fake primary underneath the clear and, and absolutely, you know, so far ahead of everybody else, eventual nominee Donald Trump right now. It's like, I don't even know why we're going through the motions. Yeah. It's exactly right. What you'll see tonight on that stage is a bunch of clown candidates who have absolutely no chance. They have a, a snowball's chance in hell at winning this nomination and beating Donald Trump. And they'll all be bickering over policies and solutions that President Trump has already delivered on. They'll be talking about who can end Joe Biden's war on our domestic energy production and who can rate our American economy. Guess what? President Trump has already done that. His proven that he is the only capable leader to lead America bet us down in the last couple of years. And so while all those candidates waste their time and their donors' money, by the way, standing on that stage tonight, it's not going to make a difference in the race. In fact, the only difference it may make is uh, their their decline in the the Americans do tune in and see what a clown show it really is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. You know, it's it's like one of these things where just when you see the way it's being hyped up in the mainstream, whether it be podcasts or some of the channels like Fox News who want to just go out and make, sh you know, the American public, the, the, the ones who don't aren't hardcore into politics, the politically uneducated, those who, you know, just kind of go through the motions that this is necessarily a thing. And then people will wonder, well, well hey, why is Donald Trump not there? And then, hey, why is he having a speaking event? And then. I guarantee they won't even talk with, about him tonight unless they're trying to get some some hit pieces in on him uh, during the course of the debate. And, you know, when you look at all the stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C. right now, Caroline, it's almost guaranteed that we're going to have a government shutdown after Friday. You've yet to see any of these candidates. I have looked high and low, not Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy. Everyone besides Vivek, Doug Burgum, have worked in government in some context. No one's weighed in on the budget battle. No one's given plausible alternatives to how we can get to, you know, lowering the deficit and, and getting budgets passed in this country. They all just want to make talking points about Donald Trump. And it doesn't 
help the process. And, and even more importantly, it doesn't help the country. So when you see all these people are going in and they're going to be talking about things like Ukraine and they're just going to be making like broad points about the border and stuff like that, it just doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things when, you know, the only person that could really talk on that stuff is someone that's actually done it from the Oval Office and that's President Trump. Exactly. And the bulk of those candidates, right, with the exception of Vivek, are career politicians. Tim Scott spent uh, more than a decade in the Senate. Ron, Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, was in Congress and then he ran for governor of Florida and only was elected because Donald Trump helped him get there. Nikki Haley, also a career politician. And the question should be asked of them, what have you done for the American people? What tangible solutions have you passed in order to help the people that you serve? Uh, and when it, you look at Donald Trump's record, it's far and above beyond any of the any of these other candidates when it comes to especially the economy. He, again, renegotiated NAFTA and other horrible trade deals. Yep. He, he really shifted uh, the American trade policy uh, throughout the entire world and ensure that American labor, American workers, American companies get a fair shake uh, in, in contrast to cheap foreign labor over in China uh, and India and elsewhere. He also, you know, secured our border. Our communities were safer. Deportations were at a record high. Illegal crossings were at a record low. And then if you look at what he did on the world stage, I think that's really important, too, because right now we're in we're in the midst of a, a war over in Ukraine. We're, we're technically involved because we're sending billions of dollars in, in tax taxes over there. Sure. Uh, and so it, it's really there, there's such a clear contrast when you look at donald trump's foreign policy record in comparison to any of these other candidates he was a statesman world leaders answered his calls he cut the historic uh, abraham accords which was a historic peace agreement in the middle east with countries that never spoke to each other before donald trump demanded that they do and so on every single issue he can be trusted while these other politicians frankly can't because they failed the american people in their decades-long career and being president for them is just another another job on their resume, if you will. Whereas for Donald Trump, uh, he's doing it because he loves this country. He's sacrificing for this country and he wants to make it great again. Yeah. If you, if you didn't see the ruling that went down in New York state yesterday and don't think that Donald Trump is in this for no one other than the country, then you kind of need to get your head examined. That's just the way it is at the end of the day. Caroline, we're going to obviously live link the pack in the show description today and your social medias, but for anyone that's not following you, where can they check you out? Awesome. Thanks guys so much. Go to magapack.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Truth Social, Instagram, Facebook at K Levitt, L E A V I T T N H, as in my home state of New Hampshire, K Levitt, N H. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you coming on the show with us. This is the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc. Always great sitting down with Miss Caroline Levitt. Thanks for coming on the show today. 2024 is our final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state, we will expel the warmongers. Get them all out of our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, the Marxists, the fascists. And we will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media. Those people right there, they're fake. So many of them. Rapidly reduce inflation. I will end Joe Biden's war on American energy and reclaim energy independence. Three years ago, we were totally energy independence. Heading over to energy dominance, right, Russell? For our next term, I've set the ambitious goal of achieving the number one lowest cost of energy and electricity anywhere in any major industrial nation on Earth. And we'll be there within six months. 
In other words, we will drill, baby, drill. We're going to be drilling. We're going to be drilling like we were doing. And we're the only ones going up. They're going down. They're going down, down, down. They ought to stop wasting their time. You know, they're wasting a lot of time with these ridiculous debates that nobody's watching. Their last debate was the lowest rated debate in history. That's a good compliment, isn't it? Now, what was I doing, Marjorie? I was someplace else, wasn't I, huh? I was doing another interview. We had 271 million people listening to the Tucker Carlson interview. That's an old time. So here we are uh, back in the thick of campaign season. We are now just four months away from the Iowa primaries. And you see former President Trump in a place where you would expect to see him today and in the days to come, South Carolina. I got a question for you, Noah. Mm -hmm. When Donald Trump starts shitting on Fox News and talking about Tucker Carlson, why do they cut away from a speaking event? It's weird. (laughs) So weird. What do you think it's going to look like tonight when he speaks to the United Auto Workers Union who are currently on strike because of Joe Biden's radical progressive policies in addition to, uh, you know, the fake primary debate that's going to be happening on Fox? I feel like they're going to be pretty supportive of him and not so much of old Joe. Yeah, I don't think so either. Listen, for you guys and you guys only, I'll be bringing you the uh, funniest parts of that slapstick shit show that's going to be happening on the, the Fox News debate stage. However, we will have comprehensive coverage of Donald Trump's speaking event also on our Friday edition of the show this week. So, hey, you know what else I want to say, Noah? I mean, we're hitting the back end of the show right now. We've got, uh, I mean, he's running in the presidential primary. I'm starting to get Michigan governor or Senate vibes from current candidate Perry Johnson. I think he would be a, a great fit for either. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've had a bunch of great guests on today. Caroline Levitt was fire as always, mm-hmm. and, and as she brings it not only uh, when she does her speaking events, but across social medias. And then two congressmen who joined us for the first time. I'm sure everybody knows Andy Biggs, but it was great getting to sit down with, with Oklahoma to Representative Josh Burkeen for the first time. These guys are working hard for us. Mm-hmm. They're up against the clock, but but here's the thing. I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to let it expire and go to overtime, to be yeah. honest with oh, you. Yeah. I do think we need a, a at least a 15 days to stop the spread of reckless government spending. No, I think you're in agreement with that. Yeah, it's a small price to pay. I mean, people gave up a lot more during COVID for less of a valid reason. So you heard a couple clips from Donald Trump. He spoke at a large event for a delegation of South Carolinian supporters. Obviously, you heard him referencing Marjorie Taylor Greene and Congressman Russell Fry, who was in the audience at the event. You'll never guess it, Noah. Everybody's... Favorite gayest South Carolina senator was there. <laughs> we might have a button for that. Oh, scissor me timbers. And, and they booed the shit out of him. Oh. Donald Trump did the whole, oh, come on, give him a break. When I need help with the Democrats, I've always got Lindsey Graham to lean on, which people don't understand. I always see like the anti-Trump Republicans out there saying like, oh, it's so stupid to see Donald Trump out there shilling for Lindsey Graham. Guys, listen to the context of what he's saying. Whenever I need help with the liberals, I lean on Lindsey Graham. He's literally shitting on the guy, saying that he's a fucking rhino, and the only reason he has him around is to use him to bring those voters in. Yeah. It's what Donald Trump does. It's business-like. It's business. And he gets the job done. Maybe not so much so in New York State after the ruling yesterday. We'll get to that in a sec. I do have one more clip from the speaking event, and that was talking about how Joe Biden does one thing and one thing only. You can see it with the auto workers union who's currently on strike, and that's put America last. Let's check it out. Biden puts China first, Mexico first, Ukraine first, Europe first, Asia first, illegal aliens first, above our great veterans. You know that. It's a growing list. Puts the illegal aliens above our veterans. Our veterans live like hell. 
And uh, you know what you see what's happening. You ever see the illegal aliens that one the weirdest thing? They come in by the tens of thousands, sometimes a day, and they all have, they have cell phones. I'm saying, <laughs> where do they get the cell phones? Everybody has a cell phone. They're all talking on these beautiful cell phones, and they're expensive ones, too. They're nice ones. Somebody who's into that said, those are good phones. And then I say, who, pay, who pays their bills? Who's paying the bills, Marjorie? Do you want to check that? I'll give it to Marjorie. She'll figure that one out fast. No, but you ever notice? They're all coming in with cell phones. Our veterans don't have cell phones, do they? But they put illegal aliens first and everyone first, but he puts America last, he puts our military last, he puts our veterans last, he puts workers last, he puts small businesses last, he puts everything that's good and proper last. He puts it last. It's crazy. I put America first every single time, every single time. Fact check true. Yeah. Now we're talking about, uh, you heard him mention he put small business last, Noah. We were talking about off air, the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion event last night that happened in uh, Philadelphia's center city. Mm-hmm. Also known as a flash mob. Steelathon. Flash riot. Ludathon. Trying to think of something else. I got nothing. Well, this you'll know, not Ron DeSantis, but the social media influencer. She is an African-American woman that she's about 400 pounds. Her name is Meatball. She was live streaming the event. Her name's actually Meatball? Mm-hmm. On the way to it in her car. Wait, she goes by Meatball? All the way up until she was put into the back of a police cruiser. <laughs> got her. Put her in the old paddy wagon? Yep. She fit in a cruiser? It might have been one of the SUVs. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. With a name like Meatball, you're not just going to throw them in the back of a... Maybe she had some brown gravy on her, kind of <sighs> lubricates the gears. Oh, that's a little weird. Don't say Life. That. No. Uh, she's hideous. Um, well, you know, and that's the thing. You want to talk about small businesses being last. You, you see how they are quickly exiting all of our major cities, leaving them rotten and bare. And then with the radical DAs and the diversity, equity, inclusion hires at the top of all of our biggest cities, police forces, you, you see that crime has just been able to run rampant. I mean, last night, literally a mob of over 200 people walked into Philadelphia's city square and looted up to five businesses like Foot Locker, Apple Store, a couple liquor stores, and Lululemon and walked out with hundreds of thousands of dollars of merchandise scot-free. And that were, was just the Lululemon store. There were looters walking around with machetes. There were looters walking really? right past cops with guns, and nobody was doing anything until finally some of the police got fed up with it and started literally punching people in the face, slamming them to the ground. And, and those officers will probably get fucking... Prosecuted to the nth degree. Oh, yeah, they're going to be the next horrendous fucking just... You're going to jail. Yeah. Directly to jail. Well, it's not like any of the policies on the books are going to be able to hold any of these people in jail. They'll just be down to, you know, do it again next week and think it's funny and without consequence. It's pretty funny. I know you saw Noah, that guy that uh, got killed. He was the retired police officer from Los Angeles. He did 35 years on the force. He sold everything he had in California. He moved to Las Vegas. And two weeks ago, a 16 and 17 year old kid. Oh, that video was awful. Stole a car, played Grand Theft Auto with another car on the street. And then ran this guy over. And, and, they, and it was 100% premeditated. If these guys get anything less than 
life in prison for fucking murder, it's going to be a travesty because they literally like hit him. Yeah. And the good part about it was... And they honk at him before they run him over. Even though the kids both were joking to the arresting officers when they finally got caught after the video went viral on TikTok and on social media that they were minors and they were going to be out with literally no consequence. No. The judge immediately put her foot down and said, you will both be charged as adults. Good. And made all of their personal information, including mugshots, public. So now everybody knows who they are. Everybody knows about the heinous crime that they committed, and they're going to be charged as adults, which means they will never see the light of day again. Well, hopefully, but we'll see with this justice system the way it is. Well, it's, you're right. We, we have seen some murderers get off on, after serving, like, a fourth of their sentences. There, there are people who, like, there was this one guy who stalked somebody and then, like, raped her, so he got sent to jail for, like, 30 years, and they let him off in, like, four, and then he went and killed the lady that he... Event- Fuck. That's just what's going on with the justice system right now, and... Uh, you know, I don't want to say it's a distraction. It's more of a product of where we're at. But here's the thing. One of the big issues that went down yesterday and news items that uh, I know a lot of the liberal outlets were celebrating was a ruling that happened in New York State and, and in a case that was brought, a civil case, not criminal, by radical Soros-funded district attorney Leticia Tish Peekaboo. James. Mm. MSNBC broke the news yesterday afternoon. Let's hear it. Let me bring those of you who are just joining us uh, up to date on what is happening right now. If you are just joining us, it is now just after five o'clock here in New York. I'm sitting in for Nicole Wallace and we are following major breaking news out of Manhattan. A major blow to Donald Trump's businesses and the image that he has crafted over the decades as a business mogul. Today, a judge has just ruled, just ruled that Donald Trump committed fraud by repeatedly exaggerating the value of his financial assets. The judge has also canceled the business certificates of Donald Trump and his family members and Alan Weisselberg. That ruling has come in the New York Attorney General's civil case against Donald Trump and his family. A trial is set to begin on Monday. There remain six other issues that are still unresolved. So this is called a partial summary judgment. The judge uh, has has ruled on a number of things in this case uh, without it going to trial. There are still unresolved issues, including, we believe, what the fine uh, will be and, and, and whether there will be a fine. Surprised? Mm-mm. They're not getting them with the criminal lawfare. So now this radical judge in New York State has ruled that Donald Trump has exaggerated his wealth over the course of decades. Therefore, has dissolved the Trump organization in the state of New York. They have now nine days to vacate the state in every context and are no longer allowed to conduct business there. So if trying to throw him in jail forever wasn't enough, the radical progressive left and the globalists and the leftists and the Marxists, communists, are literally trying to erase Donald Trump's legacy. They're going to say that Donald Trump got a loan from his dad, and built this empire on lies when, when nothing could be further than the, from the truth. Donald Trump has over 500 LLCs and businesses throughout the world, in addition to his vast array of properties. The crown jewel... So what does that mean? He has the Trump Hotel in New York? He's got to, like, shutter it? Obviously, this is going to go through the appeals process. Yeah, I mean, but, like, what what's the end result, like, that hypothetically? The, the Trump organization is dissolved in the state of New York. So what does that mean for his existing infrastructure that's there just move it out sell it if i were the judge they'd be saying you should have went for the head and does the thanos oh yeah yeah yeah. and that's it 
essentially dissolving everything in addition to the mega fines that are going to be coming down for these amounts that Donald Trump said that they lied about over the course of the years, which isn't true. And, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples. First of all, first thing you should be knowing if you're listening right now is this verdict came down from a judge with no trial, no jury, and no verdict. So what happened was they did an investigation into Donald Trump's wealth and sent court workers and their attorneys to essentially once over and then appraise Donald Trump's assets, properties, companies, etc. They came up with numbers that were different than the ones Donald Trump has used on things like tax forms and in business portfolios. And therefore, this judge said, well, it looks like he lied. So I'm a judge and I'm going to rule he lied. And that's it. That's nonsense. It certainly is. So, so, so somebody exaggerating their wealth. Now that's a crime. Wait until I get into the, the wealth that was exaggerated, which includes Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lardo? Mar-a-Lardo. <sighs> Donald Trump put out a statement yesterday afternoon after the ruling came down. The widespread radical attack against me, my family, and my supporters. Now remember, they're talking about the Trump organization, so this goes against Donald's two adult sons, Eric and Don Jr. as well has now developed into the un-American depths at the hands of the deranged New York State judge doing the bidding of a completely and biased, corrupt prosecutor, Letitia James, who ran for office on a Get Trump platform. Remember, there are videos on social media where Letitia James looked into a camera and said, my days will include waking up, going to work, suing Donald Trump, and going home. Those were literally her campaign videos. Yeah. Before even knowing anything about me, today's... Action is a refutation of my status as the leading candidate for president of the United States, including a substantial lead over Joe Biden. It is a terrible reminder that the radical left Democrats will stop at nothing in trying to prevent me and the American people from winning the 2024 presidential election. Regarding of party, we cannot let this happen in the United States of America. As my lead in the polls over Joe Biden's continues to skyrocket, these corrupt and highly political prosecutors and judges will be getting even more desperate and dangerous. We are rapidly becoming a communist country, and my civil rights have been taken away from me. The New York State Attorney General went before a highly politicized Democrat judge who refused allowing the case to go to the commercial division, where it belonged, to simply rule, despite of all the evidence to the contrary, that I committed fraud, which is both ridiculous and untrue. As an example, this Democrat operative, here it is, Noah, valued Mar-a-Lardo, the most spectacular and valuable property in all of Palm Beach, Florida, was to be worth as low as $18 million. Oh, come on. Stop there. I'm not even a real estate person. I know that's fucking wrong. There are lots. Yeah, empty, vacant fucking lots. A tenth the size of Mar-a-Lago that are on sale for $30 million. Here's another one. Trump Force One mm-hmm. costs $100 million. No. So th- they're saying... Mar-a-Lago is only worth $18 million, when actually it could be worth almost 100 times the amount. He hated everything about me, he's referring to the judge now, at that level I have never seen before and even beyond the hatred displayed by Letitia James. There was no trial and no jury for the supposed, Trump quotes, wrongdoing of fully paying back, I like this part, sophisticated Wall Street banks in full with interest, no defaults, and no victims. It was a civil case. There was no crimes, but there was also no one affected due to Donald Trump's business transactions. Mm -hmm. These banks were represented by the largest and most sophisticated law firms in the country. This is Democrat political lawfare and a witch hunt at a level no one's ever seen before. 
is an attempt to badly injure the opposing party's leader by far and best political candidate. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before. Therefore, my civil rights have been violated and some appellate court, whether federal or state, must reverse this horrible, un-American decision. Believe me, if they can do it to me, they can do it to you. And that's the end of the statement from Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump Jr. put out a statement yesterday. It was like, shit, if, if Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, get me 10 of them. Yeah. Eric Trump had a little bit more of a, of a pointed one because, you know, he does a lot of the work for the Trump campaign. And, uh, yeah, I was right, Noah. The, the plane, $101 million is what Trump Force One is worth. Yeah. How much did they say it was worth? $18 million. They said Mar-a-Lago. That's, no, the, 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 the plane. $101 million. But how much is it really worth? That's that's what the, oh, that's the actual official appraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what did they say it was worth? Is what I'm saying. They didn't. They didn't talk about the plane. They just referenced Mar-a-Lago as part of the oh, okay. disposition from the judge. And then here's a here's one from Eric Trump. A post on X formerly Twitter yesterday in an attempt to destroy my father and kick him out of New York State. A judge has ruled that Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is only worth approximately eighteen million dollars. Mar-a-Lago is speculated to be worth well over a billion dollars, making it arguably the most valuable residential property in the entire country. This is also corrupt and coordinated. Mm -hmm. So the left celebrated this as another of getting Trump. And, and, you know, it goes to all those people who are saying that Donald Trump is such a person that wants to be in the spotlight, that he wants to get back to the Oval Office just to say he was president again, that his interests aren't. You could already say that. You, You don't need to say it twice. And that's the thing, that his interests aren't that of the American people. Look at what they're doing here. You're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars of business investment, future revenue, and all of those things that they're just going to, by one radical judge, try to dissolve and kick him out of a state which he lived in for 50, 60 years. It's fucking wild. That's insane. Donald Trump and his father built a great portion of the still remaining New York skyline in that city, especially in the major metropolitan parts of like Manhattan and stuff like that. And and you want to say that this judge can just say like, you're our number one political opponent. You won't fucking go away. So guess what? (laughs) We're going to make you go away literally and monetarily. It's wild. So, you know, it's just one of these things that we're going to see where this goes. Obviously it's going to go to the appellate court. I don't know how high it'll get. I'm, I'm hoping there's a federal judge at the appellate level that is going to have the balls to just say like, okay, guys, this is fucking ridiculous, you know, and especially with these low ball numbers that they're trying to put out there. But here's the thing. We're going to see how this develops again today, which is Wednesday gives us nine days now on the judge's original ruling. And guess what? That's not the end of it. You heard at the end of that MSNBC piece, she's got six more rulings regarding Donald Trump's finances that are still coming down the pike. Our last audio clip of the day, and before we jump in with presidential candidate Perry Johnson to get an update from him, is from Trump attorney and frequent Steak for Breakfast enjoyer, Jesse Benal, who was on Newsmax yesterday, talking about this ruling and the lawfare that's being played against President Trump. Let's check it out. You you can't. You're exactly right. There was no fraud here at all, first of all. Um, And there certainly is is no fraud when no one's actually harmed by it. But um, let's just go to the uh, what we I think all know at this point, which is unfortunately there are a lot of judges in this country that are get Trump judges. Yep. They don't care what the law is. They don't care what the facts are. They have become political activists and they just want to get Donald Trump. This case should never have been with this judge. 
this case should have been uh, transferred to an entirely different division of the New York Supreme Court. But because there was a judge that so badly uh, wanted to get Donald Trump, he decided to hang on to it and and engage in, in judicial fiat to try to harm somebody who he disagreed with politically. This is one of the most dangerous things that we see in our country right now, is this judicial activism um, that is gone far beyond just uh, judicial decisions um, based on policy, like we used to see with things like abortion, but now about trying to bring down people um, who people uh, who a, a judge politically disagrees with. It's extremely dangerous. We're in a more dangerous uh, place with this than I think we have been at any time since our nation's founding. What do you think, Noah? It's kind of hard to disagree with uh, Jesse there. No, that guy's got the guy's on point. He certainly is, and he's always prepared to kind of lay out why it is. And, you know, the fact that this judge had an off-ramp to send this crap, you know, just to be like, okay, you, you guys are doing the stuff in Atlanta. You guys are doing the criminal stuff with Jack Smith and the special counsel. Let's just send this down to the lower court, and they can make whatever ruling on it they want to. But this is kind of like bullshit. No, you find the biggest piece of shit radical judge you could find who ideologically aligns themselves with Letitia James and people like Alvin Bragg, and then they make this ruling on that. It's something that's, number one, when you talk about the monetary value, absurd. And number two, the ruling, which pulls the business licenses for the Trump organization. As If you can't see that it's politically motivated and that Donald Trump now has more skin in this game than he ever has before. It wasn't turning his businesses over to his kids when he became president, so he loses billions of dollars. Now they're literally trying to erase the Trump name from... The United States of America, period. Our legal system is absolutely unhinged. Like, like justice. Like, the image of justice is the, the, the scales and the blindfold, not a fucking political symbol and a fucking wad of money. Yeah. It, it's disgusting. That's a great analogy right there. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we just have to continue to keep tracking. We're obviously going to see where this goes as it heads to the appellate courts, obviously. The other rulings that are coming down from this radical judge and just exactly what else will hit before our Friday edition of the show. We're getting ready to jump in with Perry Johnson now, but for one more time, let's check in with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today... This big Wednesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a businessman, entrepreneur, and candidate in the 2024 presidential primary. Joining us again with a big update today, Mr. Perry Johnson, thanks for coming back on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Great to have you. And uh, I want to jump right into it and talk to what's probably the biggest issue for your campaign and everything that's going on with you, Perry. So the entire system is rigged and broken. We're about to have the second presidential debate tonight. However, you're not going to be able to participate again. And we feel as though there isn't really any progress that's made when all the candidates who are running nationally, especially some of the ones who had uh, strong showings in straw polls like you did at Turning Point USA and at CPAC last year, 
uh, to be able to participate in these debates. I, I know this is something that your campaign has been fighting hard against since the, the first one happened uh, about a month and a half ago. But if you want to give us an update on everything that's going on with you, that'd be great. Well, sure. Uh, bottom line is we submitted a number of polls that qualified us and we were we met all the requirements they decided that they had to disqualify two polls on monday night at a little after 11 o'clock one of those polls was mclaughlin uh they disqualified the mclaughlin poll their argument was that it has an association with trump well unless he's the former president he has an association with probably 80 percent of the pollsters right newsmax that poll. Obviously, I have no association with them. And the second one, which was even more bizarre, probably the most bizarre of any of them, they had no argument with the uh, pollster. They argued that the pollster only got responses from 38 states. Well, they regionally balanced it. And let's face it, there are an awful lot of potential people in that race. When you say that, potential people that are voting, you have about 70 million Republicans and about 100 million independents that vote. That doesn't even count some of the Democrats that vote in the Republican primary. But that alone represents such a huge number that your probability of selecting someone is so small. If you had 170 million there, you out of if you have 800 out of 170 million, your probability is what, less than one or 200,000 you're going to select somebody? And if you randomly select across the country because it's regionally balanced, which is what it's supposed to be, you then have, 50, you have 18 states that have a population less than 1%. So I don't even know what the typical number would be, but it looks like it's probably somewhere around 38, 40 that responds. So what about the other pollsters? When you ask how many states are represented by the other pollsters, they don't know because the other pollsters were not statisticians. They didn't give all the detail. They don't know how many states are represented. So the bottom line is they discounted this poll for very specious reasons because this poll was probably too well run. And maybe they gave too much information and these people don't understand. So Ron and Romney did not want me on the debate stage. That's the only thing I can conclude. Maybe she's gonna to plan to run for governor. I don't know, and she doesn't want me to get too much airtime if I run against her, if I happen to lose this. I don't know what her rationale is. It didn't make any sense. But obviously, considering that I had the polls to qualify, and they let me off, they put me off the debate stage, it puts a person at a tremendous disadvantage because you have 11 million people that were watching that debate last time, 11.7 million, and you're in front of that entire group. Now, let's face it, when you are doing that, you are gaining tremendous publicity and it is the enormous advantage. Sure. So when somebody is off of that, it makes it very difficult on a national scale to win. So it looks to me like the option that I have is to move into either Iowa or New Hampshire and just live there and start campaigning on the ground with the people and get in front of as, as many people as possible and hope to do well in those initial polls. That's about the only way I can see myself winning this race. 
Well, you know, when you look at all the people that are running, especially the ones that are behind President Trump right now, Perry, I don't think you'd have too much of a hard time getting ahead of some of those stiffs. It just seems like no matter where they live or, or how many events they go to or, or things that they do to try and entice voters to come out and listen to them, they're just poorly attended. And it doesn't seem like those messages are really resonating with the voters. So you, you might be the shot in the arm that people are looking for in New Hampshire or Iowa. And uh, we sure don't like to see people like Chris Christie rising in the polls anytime soon. So so, you know, you might have to get out there and uh, give him a little bit of beat down on the campaign trail as well. One, one of the things I want to touch with you on, because you are, you know, one of the only candidates that actually has a plan to address America's debt crisis. Uh, it's sensible. It's it's something that can be easily applied across the board. And it comes at a time where we uh, are almost guaranteed to have a government shutdown at the end of this week, Perry. When you see the failed methodology of how our governmental systems are run for the last couple decades that we haven't been able to pass an actual budget since the late 90s and we've lived on CRs and omnibuses and it's kind of like whoever's in power is the hostage taker and who's ever not in power is becomes the people getting negotiated over every single time one of these budgets come up. When you see something like this shaking down on Capitol Hill this week, and you know that as early as next week we're going to have a government shutdown, what does it say for the failed system, and, and what is some, some optimistic uh, points that you can give our listenership that you want to bring uh, to the table to help get this, uh, you know, at least our budgetary issues back on track? Well, as you know, I wrote a book, Two Cents to Save America, that has the plan. I think you raise a very interesting point. Here we are, three and a half months from the caucus, in Iowa, and still nobody else has a plan. Now that's what amazes me. So think of it this way. We ended up having the Republican Party, for whatever reason, maybe it's just Rana, I don't know, but we have them having the guy who has the plan not on the stage. And yet we are facing one of the most serious crises of our life. I don't think people understand how bad it really is. Now, we have to recognize that in the year 2000, we were only 5.6 trillion in debt, and we had a gross domestic product of over 10 trillion. So it represented in the neighborhood of 55% of gross domestic product. I think we were what, $10.5 trillion at the time. So we were 55% of gross domestic product, and interest rates were quite low. In fact, interest rates got as low as 0.68 of 1%. So if you're paying 0.68 of 1% and your debt is only 5.6 trillion, you're not really spending a whole lot of money. It's rounding here. What is it? $35 billion for interest. Well, right now we are $33 trillion of debt and we are borrowing money now at the rates of anywhere from what? 4.2 to 5.5, Let's face it, you can now invest in treasuries. And if you invest in six-month treasuries, you're getting five and a half percent. So if you borrow money at 5% and you're $33 trillion in debt, that's $1.65 trillion in total interest payments. Considering we only collect $3.9 trillion in taxes, that's 40% of what we collect in taxes going in interest on our debt. Now, with that, it's clearly not sustainable, and it's clearly imperiling our entire way of life. So what are they talking about now? Cutting Social Security. In fact, they want to cut it for between seventeen dollars and $23,000 per couple. Yep. They're talking about cutting Medicare. Why? We can't afford it. 
We're not going to be able to continue to afford our defense budget because we won't have any money. Now, this is completely nuts. And yet our government insists on going more into debt. Now, does that make any sense to you? It sure doesn't. And, and you know, when you see a lot of the, I don't know, theatrics that are going up on Capitol Hill, I'm sure there are some people that have a really good stake in this, Perry. You know, there's a you could probably count the amount of senators and, and congressmen down in the House who have our best interests at heart. It's probably on our fingers and toes. And then, you know, when you look at the 435 in the House of Representatives and the 100 in the Senate, that's not really good numbers right there. And when you talk about how the, the sensible solutions are so easy, but when it takes away from the lobby groups and the special interests and all the things that grease the gears up in Capitol Hill for so many decades, of course, you could see why everybody wants to, you know, hold their things near and dear. Of course, we're going to help fund the border. It's only because we have to fund Ukraine as well and so on and so forth. It's just a repetitive process. So we are really thankful to have men like you in the fight. We are going to continue to provide not only coverage for your campaign, but uh, have you back on the show uh, every once in a while to give us an update on things that are going on with you. We hope that at some point in the near future you're moving to Iowa and New Hampshire because we'd like to see you get out there on the campaign trail and cause a little ruckus. But in the meantime, we're going to live link your campaign website in the show description today. But for anybody that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, go to perryjohnson.com. And by the way, I had a number of series on Newsmax, which is a reality series on what it's like to run for president. And you can find out all about that by going to perryjohnson.com, reality series of perryjohnson.com backstage. And by the way, I am going to be moving there if I take this move within the next two weeks. So I would either go there next week or the following week if I decide to make this move because I think that's about the only way that I can win this race. Going to be definitely tracking that on our end, Perry, and we look forward to having you back on the show again. This is the businessman who's making uh, a lot of noise in the 2024 presidential primary right now. Mr. Perry Johnson, thanks for joining us on the show. And thank you for having me. Enjoy life. Back in the saddle. What do you think, Noah? Back in the saddle again. Guess what? We only get one day off and we get to do it again. You know you love it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 275 other editions of the show, guys, please make sure you're downloading, subscribe to, and following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Also across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today. We had on presidential candidate Perry Johnson, MAGA Inc. spokeswoman Caroline Levitt, and Congressman Andy Biggs, and Josh Burkeen. They definitely helped make Steak great again. I'd say don't worry because we got only a little bit of time left until our next edition of the show. Looks like we're having a trio of Congress people on on Friday. Representative Eli Crane, George Santos, Victoria Sparks for the first time, and we'll be sitting down with former Congressional Chief of Staff Jim Paff. On behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Ro Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great day in between and take care. devaluing American money so rapidly that in America today, you can't even bribe Democrat senators with cash alone. You need to bring gold bars to get the job done just so that the bribes hold value. No. So they're saying Mar-a-Lago. You can't even say it right now. They're saying Mar-a-Lago. They're saying, no, you got to. They're saying Mar-a-Lago.
<laughs> I'm leaving it. No, don't. They're saying Mar-a-Lago is only worth $18 million. You know, where are the documents that were in these empty top secret files that were found at Mar-a-Lago? I mean, that's real. Mar-a-Lago. 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 Mar-a-Lago.